0: everyone. I'm Amanda Borchel-Dan. Welcome to Times Will Tell, the weekly podcast by The Times of Israel. This week, Israel is observing Yom HaMishpacha, or Family Day, which originally began in 1947 as Mother's Day, but evolved in the 1990s to honor the hopefully equal contribution of both parents in raising a family. So I'm speaking with Enat Natan, who is a leading Israeli parenting guru. In April, she is publishing a new English language book, My Everything, The Parent I Want To be the children I hope to raise. Her path to parenting was fraught with loss. She describes in frank detail how losing twin boys to a quiet or stillbirth at week 39 turned her into the parent she is today. Her approach is to go back to basics to allow children to deal with pain and work out their own problems all the while knowing that they are supported by reliable, relaxed parents that are present. She is a mother of five children ranging from 21 to 8. As I am a mother of six kids aged 17 to 8, we had a bit of a schmooze in a wide-ranging conversation on raising kids during the coronavirus pandemic and how to dispel the fantasy of the perfect family in order to enjoy the wonder of reality. Hi, Nat. Thanks for
1: joining me today. Where am I finding you? Uh, (laughs) Where can you find me? At home, of course. And where is home? Home is in Tel Aviv. Yeah.
0: Great. Yeah. Thank you for joining me. We're here to speak about your new English book, My Everything, The Parent I Want to Be, The Children I Hope to Raise. But before that, tell me a little bit about how you got into the gig of parenting. You were trained as a lawyer. How did you pivot?
1: Oh, wow. You're bringing me so many years back. When I finished law school, I started figuring out. I, I started. I think it hit me. You know, I I I I went to to law school uh, to do rights or for the justice or to help people, and it hit me that it means to be in a war with someone. And I don't like wars, <laughs> so I finished everything. I, I I've just finished my internship, and I and I gave my best friend a call. He was, he was uh, uh, studying psychology, and I told him, Danny, I've got it all wrong. I, I I need to be a psychologist. And he told me, Ah, you don't have so many years. Just just go and study. You you should be a parenting expert. You you wanted so badly to be a mom. What can you, you know, if worse comes to worse, you'll be a good mom. And this is the beginning of my story. The the back door to my story, which was also interesting, is that my mother was a family therapist. And while being sick or surrendering to uh, her illness, I was sitting with her when she could no longer write at lectures as a I think I was a teenage girl just at the beginning of when I was 11 and I wrote down for her in, the, in her notebook yeah yeah yeah
0: all of this happened before you yourself became a parent yeah and your journey to becoming a parent is well publicized, so oh, I'm not, yeah. uh, not uh, ripping off yeah. any bandages yeah. here. No, but no. I, I think you would have to have a heart of stone not to have been moved from a piece you wrote in Slate several years ago about the quiet birth, the stillbirth of your twins.
1: Can you tell us a little bit? It's the first chapter of the book. Because when we started editing the book and trying to, you know, think of the big story or, you know, the the narrative of the chapters, I kind of had that feeling that my journey began in losing babies and losing those babies kind of presented me of the gift of the mother I am today. And so, so we decided to start the book by sharing this experience.
0: I was so moved reading it, and I think for me, especially because I have twins, and you're describing the the quiet birth, the stillbirth of two twins, twin boys, it was just so gripping and And how you describe coming to terms with the loss, actually with the birth of your son, who is
1: now 21, correct? Yes, he's twenty one right uh, wow, that would can you imagine that birth? <laughs> I I can deeply
0: imagine that birth, and I think any parent or mother could imagine that birth. And you describe very uh, matter-of-factly, very plainly, the fact that, of course, your milk started after you were home, but home without the babies. You came home, and you had to go through the whole processes of having given birth. And then you say that you and your husband went to New York, can you tell me a little bit about this journey and how it affected you?
1: I think that we needed to take our grief elsewhere. I think that after suffering the, this loss, we knew two things. We knew that our love will survive. I've lost my mother before uh, Yuval, my husband, has lost his young sister in a car accident, and we knew loss. You know, it wasn't it, it wasn't it wasn't something new to us in a way that we could say without saying to one another that we'll survive. But we needed to get away from the looks. From, you know, pity even, or the neighbors, the hairdresser, our parents, how we disappointed everyone because they were looking to be grandparents for the first time. And New York was, it's our city. (laughs) It's the city where we've experienced love, you know, in the past. So we said, what the hell? Let's go burn some money in New York. (laughs) Yeah. And it was so therapeutic. It was, it reminded us of what's important that we can hold on to each other. I I think uh, holding on to each other is definitely the secret
0: to any marriage going through any kind of really traumatic event. But one of the things that you note here is how involved all of Israel or all of your Israeli surroundings can be in your life. I would never have imagined that I could be at a bus stop and some random stranger, who is not a stranger at all, of course, she's probably my neighbor you know, down the road, who knows, and she'll tell me very plainly that I need to put a hat on my baby, otherwise the baby will definitely catch a cold and there's nothing I should (laughs) do about it but listen to her. And that is Israel, where people are... In your face, involved with all of your parenting. For good or bad, right? (laughs) For good or bad. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely.
0: How do you incorporate that, the involvement of the neighbors, of the parents, of the grandparents, of everyone in raising your own child here in Israel?
1: Uh, Let's start by saying that I'm a people's person. So I love connecting with people now that I have my professional knowledge and I know that it does take a village to raise a child, uh, I welcome people. You know, so it's a, it's a it's a question of lifestyle or personality. I would never tell a mother on the playgrounds how to educate her child. Never ever.
0: But you're probably the only one actually, and uh, you know, the only one qualified to
1: actually say something. It's, but I never do that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. But, but, but I do embrace, you know, I know where it's coming from. And I think that we're in that age where we're, we're missing that tribe. You know what I mean? We're missing on so many experiences that our children need, that we need. And, you know, let's not forget that we're having this conversation in COVID times. It, that is definitely true. In, in fact,
0: when I was growing up, it was very uh, fine for an older person, a, a leader of the community or whatever small community to adjust some child's behavior. Yeah, and now that we're all locked up in front of our computers, our children especially through every school day, how are they going to be molded by the, the community without any kind of communal interaction?
1: It's a good question because that question brings us back to basic. Because when we look at child development, we need to understand that it basically, it was easier for parents to raise children back in the tribe area or in the community. So we're talking about, first of all, our comfortness, right? Because if I'm not the only adult, then We're sharing responsibility. What happened in modern time, I think, was a couple of things. A, we've lost the tribe. B, us women began to work or have careers or have needs, which is amazing. But then we have to juggle so many balls up in the air. And we kind of thought we figured it out. But after all, we now in COVID times, I think we all realize that we were so dependent on daycare and on school and on after school activities and on babysitter that I think that one of the gifts of COVID, if we can give if we can talk about gifts, is is just taking a good look at, you know at prioritizing and at what children really need. Because when we're talking about the tribe or the community, it's not their basic need. Their basic need are, you know, reliable, relaxed parents that are there, that are present, that are not distracted, that can, you know, n- nurture the attachment, you know, the basic attachment theories, they were so right. So when we're talking about, you know, that our children losing their childhood or losing this year, not ha- not having play dates or not having school, we're basically talking about us losing our support, support system.
0: I do understand what you're saying. And in fact, um when I was preparing for this interview, I was speaking with the, my mentor who is Linda Amar at our office, definitely the 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 foundation stone of the Times of Israel, Linda Amar. In any case, she was mentioning to me how on the time the New York Times, they're making a big deal about mothers basically being on the ed, on the verge of a nervous breakdown during this covid year. And I have to admit that for me, because I'm a journalist who mostly works at home, who is here to greet my kids when they're home and then completely ignore them, my life hasn't <laughs> changed all that much except for perhaps the need to make more food than usual because they're oh, around much that much more. more. food, huh? wow. <laughs> Much more food. <laughs> yes. But uh, the idea of the mother being on the verge of the nervous breakdown is definitely something that's internationally felt. I hear about it a lot from uh women here in Israel and I just am a bit puzzled why. I I know that sounds awful and ungrateful or perhaps very grateful for my life as it is, but I just don't 100% understand why women are freaking out so
1: much right now. I think that we're talking about mental capacity. You know, I think we're talking about the basic mechanisms that we're used to, or at least, I, I I meet young mothers, young parents every day, and I want to say they're spoiled, but not in a bad way, you know, because it, it's 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 kind of a, a an evolutionary parenting animal of some sort that. Really, they are more connected to their needs, much more connected to their happiness, much more in need of freedom, individuality, careers, interests. Let, let's admit it, motherhood is, is, is pretty boring. It, it definitely is boring. And so, in yeah. fact, when you said yeah. not be distracted
0: when you're with your children, well, Sometimes when you're with your children, you just yeah. Need... Oh
1: my God! Just bring me something. Yeah, if I have right. to, if I have to sing that song again or hear about that. I just you know, yeah. So 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 we all know how that feels, right? Yes, for sure. But I hear more and more about the difficulties of parents having to go through, you know, just the basic stuff of the the hard few months when they don't get sleep or toddlers having their own separation or wishes and not being, you know, soldiers or an extension to serve the ego of or not serving even the fantasy that they had as parents and parenting is becoming, I think, more and more difficult for young parents. So what came more naturally to us and certainly to the generation of our parents, because it was what it was, were, they didn't even give that much attention. You know, it wasn't like, what does my child need in order to thrive? Oh, for
0: sure, for us, it was go play, yeah, and they just get called back for dinner.
1: that's e- it. exactly <laughs> and when when we went to play, you know, nobody knew who we were playing with. It was multi age, there were sticks, there were stones, you know, there were there was definitely bullying, and we came back when it was dark, just so that. My mother won't, you know, scream for the porch and dinner. Yeah. Yeah. The echoey dinner. Of course. Exactly. Yeah. And, And now I see, you know, two mothers having two toddlers, you know, in a play date. They're both three years old and they're. I don't know, fighting over a toy and they're jumping in and they're let's, let's look, it's not nice for her. She's not feeling well. Uh, uh, let's get some ice cream. You know, maybe we'll make turns. Well, seriously? <laughs> so it's also getting to prioritize or getting to, to know what exactly our children need in order to develop. Emotionally, and I'll give you a hint. We are their answer to everything. It's not what we do. It's who we are. It's how we present ourselves. It's how anxious we are. And then I think we need to let go of so many stuff. So basically, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about parenting, which I think it's, is easier It seems harder at first, but I'm pretty sure it's easier. Hi, it's Sarah Tuttle Singer from the Times of Israel. Come join our
0: community and support fast and fair independent journalism. You can sign up with the link at the bottom of every single article on the site. So basically, you're preaching a Torah of letting go, of letting kids sort Themselves out as much as possible, letting them assume responsibility, letting them learn
1: what is to take responsibility and figure things out for themselves. Yeah, but that sounds simple, you know <laughs> I, I, no, no I'll, I'll, I'll I'll say it you know in a different vocabulary and and watch how you get uncomfortable, maybe not you because you have a long practice in parenthood, but if If I would tell a mother or a father or a parent, it's about letting your child, you know, get his heart broken, or not having it his way, or failing, or even struggling for something, or not hoovering and, you know, moving away any obstacle. And at the same time, it's about us being okay with, let's say, her dressing horribly with a horrible taste and him deciding when he's not hungry anymore and them deciding that they hate us and speaking it out loud because, you know, because children can't use the specific emotional vocabulary. So they act it out. And at the same time, we need to take our ego, put it into a bag, close the zipper and, you know, kick it so far away that we won't even remember we had one. Now that sounds like of a work. difficult mission. Yeah, yeah let's, <laughs> let's work. Because everyone wants independent kids, right? And every parent loves their children. But maybe love is not enough.
0: Now it makes so much more sense to me why you began your book how you did. Because you're talking about the need to experience pain in order to experience the fine joy that you actually have when you recognize what you actually do have. You are so rest-
1: right that I'm having tears in my eyes. Our listeners can see them, but It's exactly this. And it's also having proportions. I think we can lecture our kids so much about proportions, but they don't get it. If, if, if my child is not pleased with, you know, the end of the day after I invested so hard in giving him a good time, then I, I I go and preach about how ungrateful he is and children are starving in Africa or I didn't have even 30% of his toys when I was growing up, whatever. I never met a child that heard this speech and said, oh, wow, (laughs) now I get it. (laughs) You know, thank you, thank you.
0: I always joke with my husband that our method of parenting is to keep expectations very low. And so when oh anything good God. happens, they're overjoyed.
1: <laughs> and, 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 you know, it goes, it goes for us as well, the low expectations. But I'm not talking about low expectations. You know, people can, can think by mistake that I'm talking really low expectations because when we're raising children, I think that one of the difficult things for children today are high expectations. And because when a child grows up in the atmosphere of high expectations or of the perfect parent, even the model of me not struggling or of me not, you know, failing or not knowing, and at the same time having these high expectations of everyone, you know, to succeed and to perform and to be happy, and even for my house to be harmonic. I think that this atmosphere can sometimes raise children that say to themselves, unconsciously, of course, I don't have a chance. I'm so far from that model, I don't even want to try. And low expectations will do the same with the opposite, because low expectations will be the child growing up and saying, "I guess no one believes in me." Because when I quit, my mother tells me, "Ah, quit. Yeah, it's 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 better for you to quit." So we're talking about these middle ground, normal expectations of how will I set? I think that. The expect- the, these expectations requires us or invites us to always be excited with every small step of this small bud that turns out it's not a tree yet, you know, we're working on the roots and then maybe there'll be a small bud and and then, you know, maybe something will go wrong so we'll go and check if there's light, if there's sun, if the soil is getting what it needs, but it puts us in a journey of noticing what's there instead of putting so much energy to what's lacking or what's missing or to what needs to be reprimanded or, you know, in the journey of high expectations.
0: You mentioned earlier the practice of parenting and uh, as my my oldest son is 17, so I'm long in the practice of parenting. How can one practice parenting? How can one become deeper in this practice, such as one would in yoga? Are there any exercises that one can do, any hmm. thought processes that one can partake of?
1: Except for reading my book? <laughs> <laughs> Other than reading your book, after Other, we read your book. <laughs> uh, after. I think that parenting is the best psychotherapy you know available ever i think that when we enter parenthood whether we choose it or not we're facing you know our childhood and our nuclear family and the way we were raised and the pains we've experienced and Then we become parents and we promise ourselves that the sentences that came out of my mother's mouth will never come out of my mouth. And just
0: looking at you, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we have this fantasy, you know, we have this perfect picture, not just the picture of how we will be, but also, I don't know if you can remember, but the stage where we weren't yet parents, we used to look at people with kids and we used to say ours will not be like this will not talk to us like this you know we won't have to drag him out of the playground he won't scream at the supermarket he will always be clean and look nice and I think that fantasy creates so much noise because it it crushes right we all know it crushes it crushes so so fast But what we're left is we're not aware that, I'll give you an example. If I'm in front of my child engaging in, you just name it, a parenting mission of some sort and, you know, Parent is, is, is a role we play. It's a, it's a duty. It's not, it's not an equal relationship. And, and now I need to figure out or to take responsibility or to think how I will react, you know, just, just finding this roadmap. And if I have this noise inside my brain that is telling me all the time, Look at yourself. This is not how you were supposed to be. You're so far from the fantasy. Look at him. Is this what you expected? So I think that the, 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 the shattering of the fantasy, if we are aware of it, and, and, and it's part of what you said earlier about the expectations. Because if I expect my child, I don't know, not to scribble on the wall, when she does, you know, I react differently. If I expect my child, when I told her that she's not going out or at age 17 or at age five, that we have five more minutes in the playground and we need to go home. If I expect her to say, okay, mommy, then I'm reacting differently. You know, when a parent counts counts to 10, do you have that in America? Well, for us, it was three, uh, so, but but
0: it's one, two, yeah, yeah. two and a half. Yeah. Two and three okay. quarters.
1: <laughs> okay. So it's 10. So it's 10. Anyway. <laughs> so when we count to 10, on the other side, there's a child that says to himself, I have until 10. The fact that we're getting to three and a half, and four, and five. <laughs> And we're saying, oh, my God, look at, the, look at you know, this mm-hmm. energy. So I, I think the first step is just letting go of this outside noise, the noise of the fantasy or the noise of what people will say or the noise of social networks. Or the noise of the perfect image of the f- perfect mother, or the perfect child that was supposed to have. You know, we've established that I'm a people's person, that I love to communicate, that I'm all about communication, mm-hmm. and we've established how how hard, how much we looked to give birth to Eyal, our firstborn. So if we're talking about this fantasy, at age two and a half, he's diagnosed with autism. So here's the fantasy, you know, me getting to hold a live crying baby in my hands. You know, he was in my prayers, he was in my dreams, and he's crying and he's alive. So, okay, let's go to work. Let's start working the soil, the land. We have a seed. And then understanding that in my greatest trait, you know, the, the, the thing that's, that's the most important to me. I've got this lesson of letting the fantasy go in order to be a good parent, in order to be a good parent. So I'm, I'm, I'm not. Talking about this journey, you know, just as a mother of a child with, with difficulties. Because he was the biggest gift that all my other four children got. We have been speaking for quite
0: a while. And I really appreciate have all we? your thoughts. We have, indeed. Oh, my God. <laughs> Time goes by so fast. Where can people find your book, My Everything? The Parent I Want to Be, The Children I Hope to Raise. Amazon?
1: Amazon's a good place. Yeah. Bookstores? Oh my God, please God, open the bookstores. <laughs> exactly. Let me go on a book tour. Let me hug people. I miss people so much. It's coming out uh, in April 6th. April 6th, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's on pre-order right now. Please pre-order. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Amanda. It's been a pleasure. It, It was such a nice conversation. A lot to think about, definitely. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Times Will Tell and a special thanks to TLV1 Studios for sound production help. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Times Will Tell on all podcast platforms.